Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, my first season. My name is Greg, and we have a very, very special guest today. He has a career spanning 25 years as a professional skydiver, base jumper, and wingsuit pilot. He is one of the most experienced extreme sports athletes on the planet with over 13,000 jumps combined. His adventures have taken him around the globe with success in all areas, including becoming a world champion, a world record holder, and representing his native country of Australia, best country in the world, by the way, in both skydiving and base jumping in several disciplines. Through his extreme sports background and expertise in risk management, he founded the world's leading base jump school, which is called Learn to Base Jump, training hundreds of students from beginners to experts. His life has been a series of mind-blowing ups and harrowing downs, life experiences that he brings to his courses. He is also the author of the book, Confessions of an Idiot, The Colorful Tale of a Life in Freefall, out on paperback, amazon.com, anywhere you buy books. Don't worry, I will be putting the link in his bio. He lives by by the words dream, challenge, and inspire. Dare to dream, challenge yourself to live out those dreams, and then inspire others to do so themselves. So, ladies and gentlemen, everyone, originally from Melbourne, Australia, now living in Switzerland, big, big ups for Mr. Chris Dugues McDougal. Hey, Chris, how are you? Hey, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. Uh, hopefully I pronounced your, your nickname right. It's Dugues, right? You're one of the only people that did. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I am so uh, stoked to talk to you. Like I said, I first came aware of you. Uh, I can pinpoint the date, <laughs> you know, in August 2016, when a friend of mine posted one of your, your wingsuit videos onto his uh, Facebook page. And then, of course, I've always been fascinated with wingsuit flyers. I mean, ever since I saw Lara, Lara Croft, you know, the Cradle of Life, the 2003 movie, where I think this was the first movie we, we even saw wingsuits in actions in a movie anyway. So uh, you must be like... People must be coming up to you all the time, like so envious of you. Am I right? Uh, yeah, to a certain extent. It's funny you mentioned uh, Lara Croft because my friend did that and that was his real hair. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, but, and he had to give the boobs back. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> 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 okay, so, so he. Yeah, uh, okay, so you're saying he doubled for Angelina Jolie, right? That's yeah, he did. Uh, Pear okay. Flair from Sweden, a living legend. Oh, okay, wow, small world. <laughs> <laughs> because what you do, I mean, everyone, everyone dreams of doing. Even myself, you know, like when you see that. Because be honest, so, so that is that is the closest you'll come to flying, right? For sure, in this lifetime, you know, it's um, unpowered flight, human flight. So you know, we're not flying as such, even though. Uh, we like to think so, but we're we're falling gracefully at high speed. So we're doing about say three to one glide ratio, so three meters forward to one meter down, doing about two hundred to two hundred and fifty kilometers an hour. Wow. Okay. As fascinated as I am by all that, so you're Australian, so I'd like to get a bit of a origin story on you. So you you're you're from Melbourne, and as I understand, were you a construction carpenter in Australia before you even? started becoming skydiver base jumper is that how like does that how you started like a job like you had you were a carpenter i started well before that so oh, we, okay. um, <laughs> i had a you know we were also i had an awesome family my dad and mum were awesome but we were pretty poor so i uh loved skateboarding and mum and dad couldn't afford me a skateboard or the cool skate clothes so at 11 years old i started working for my dad in the wow. cool room industry and then delivering pamphlets and then pushing trolleys and um, I wasn't really into school. I thought computers were just a, a passing fad. Uh, and um, so I was, I was like, right, I liked using my hands. I like creating things. And so that's when I decided to become a construction carpenter and left uh, work, uh, uh, sorry, left school early. And then my dad said, basically, 
if you don't finish your apprenticeship, you have to go back to school. So, so I started doing that and, and that's, that was my job for, for many years. And that's where I got the information from one of my bosses about this skydiving stuff. And it just went from there, escalated very quickly. <laughs> do you remember your first skydive? Oh, yeah. Well, it's, I do and I don't. So I remember okay. it because I've got the video. Okay. Uh, I don't remember it because I blacked out as soon as I left the aircraft, which is you, crazy. You did not. Are you serious? Yeah. That was always my fear when I when I before I did mine. I was afraid I was going to be one of those guys, and I, you know, and I just lost my five hundred dollars because I was asleep the whole way down. So that was always a fear. So are you saying is this true? You? Yeah, for sure. So it's called sensory overload. I had no idea about it, obviously, at the time. But that's when your brain is pro trying to process too much information. It just shuts down. So it's a bit like the fight or flight uh, feeling as well. But it only happens once, and it happened on my first jump. And I know I, I never forget that point, even though I don't remember the. The jump itself, you know, as such, I, I remember climbing out onto the strut, you know, first of all, the door opening, you're straight into the, the the air rushing in. And, you know, obviously it's the first time it's happened. So you don't know what's going on. And then, then they make you climb out of a moving aircraft and, you know, left hand here, right hand here, left foot there, right foot there. And you're holding on to this airplane wing and then they're right, okay, out, in, go. And I just remember going... <gasps> As I left the plane and that's my brain just shut down, then it was too much for me, too much to deal with. But that's that's why we have two people holding on to you um, at the time. And I know after, you know, five seconds or so I came to and then that was just the ultimate rush, the ultimate feeling. And I, I knew that my life had changed forever then at that moment. And it did. Okay, so your first jump wasn't um, was it they call it tandem? So you weren't attached to or harnessed to an instructor. You had two, two, uh, one person on each side of you. Yeah, thankfully, thankfully not. Oh, wow. Because I wouldn't be here today if I yeah. did tandem. Yeah. Okay. So the process for that was um, it was really interesting. Was, we were young, you know, twenty years old, young, dumb, and you know, full of it. And we just I was skating and surfing and, and looking for the next rush, and um, it's just as a young guy does, and. So we literally looked at the brochure and it said static line, one second of free fall. We're like, nah, that's not extreme. And then it said tandem, 25 seconds of free fall. And then it said AFF, accelerated free fall, 35 seconds of free fall. And the only reason I'm here today is because all I saw was 35 seconds of free fall. And that would make me the most extreme guy on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is incredible. Okay. <laughs> So then how did you make the move to base jumping? Well, it's, it really is like, you know, when you get mixed up in the wrong crowd. Okay. <laughs> that's, sure. That's okay. exactly what happened to me, except the wrong crowd is the best crowd. <laughs> so, yes. um, yeah, very lucky that, you know, you don't judge a book by its cover. I had a purple mohawk and in normal society, people judge me a lot. And it was great because it meant I didn't have to speak to 90% of the idiots out there. And um, you only speak to people that are wholesome that see past that. And, Basically, started jumping, skydiving as much as I could, and just saw in the in the back room because it was all cloak and dagger back then. All the base jumping, and saw in the back room these guys watching this base jumping stuff, and I had no idea what it was. And um, one of the legends of the sport showed me a video of them jumping off the Rialto building in Melbourne in daylight, and I'm just like, "Are you kidding me? There's something even cooler with even less rules than skydiving." I'm like. I'm in. <laughs> so, and I, I mean, I only had 30 skydives or something. So, um, and then I watched a ton of videos behind closed doors and so no one could see. And, and then I went one day and it was June, I think it was either May or June, 1997. 
And it was at night and they asked me if I wanted to uh, go and ground crew for some people jumping off the Westgate Bridge in Melbourne illegally. And I'm like, absolutely. So I show up and getting ready to help out wherever I can. And uh, they just hand me a parachute and say, do you want to jump? You know, I'm literally just handing me a parachute. I had no idea how it was packed, what was in it. And they, they said, do you want to jump? And I'm like, yes. So with uh, between uh, 30 and 40 skydives, I um, put on this parachute and we went and did this jump and it was fully illegal. And then my parachute didn't even work properly and I smashed into the water and then the cops came and it was like, it was just the best. <laughs> and um, and that for me was another turning point where I'm like, oh my god! I just fell in love with just not just the sport, but the people in it. You know, the the people on the ground that day helping out are some some of the legends of the sport now that are really high up in official positions. And it was just, I don't know, there was just this cheekiness about the whole thing that just blew me away. And that's when I uh, got the, you know, asked around, what do I need to do to do this base jumping? And that's when I got the 200 skydives up and did all the training required as best we could back then and got a mentor and, and basically went from there. And that's oh, the whole way through learning to base jump and stuff like that. I was also skydiving a lot and more and more. And we got into the competitive side of things. So we were starting to train a lot too. So whilst it sounded pretty radical and crazy and, and dangerous, we're actually very disciplined behind the scenes and, and did everything properly. And of course, you're back in those days, you're still dealing with extreme fear because there was a lot of unknowns at that point in time. So, you know, the sport had been invented for sure, but, you know, my mentors only had 30 or so base jumps themselves. So it was basically the blind leading the blind, but it was good because we had to, I think, for ourselves the whole way through and we had to deal with fear, but also be very respectful of, of fear and, and obviously of getting hurt or killed. And, and that's what uh, gave us the mindset and skill set to, to keep going on and on uh, up until this day, 25 years later. That's the thing with base jumping. So not not only do you, you know, you manage your fear, you survive the fall, but now you have to evade captivity. So there must be a whole like rule book on how to, how, like you're looking for a clean exit. Like how do you, um, to some, not all places I'm sure that you've jumped are, uh, I guess, legal, I guess you can, <laughs> but you, you have to, <laughs> so you must have systems in place to, you know, uh, manage, I guess, that risk too, right? I mean, so it's crazy. You just do this massive jump, and now you're thinking, okay, now I, now I, now I don't, now I have to not get caught somehow. Okay, yeah, we, we always, we always joke around. You don't have to run the fastest; you just have to run faster than your mate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and most of the time, that worked for me. There was one time when he ran faster than me, and I ended up in a Norwegian jail. But, um, but <laughs> okay. uh, for the most part, you know, we we jump in the cloak of darkness and. You know, all the jumps are generally done between 1 and 5 a.m. And, you know, a lot didn't get a lot of sleep in those early years in Melbourne because we were jumping off chimneys and buildings and power lines and bridges. Every moment the weather was good, we we're, were there in the dark uh, sneaking around. Cool. Okay, so let me ask. So like, like uh, scuba diving, it's the uh, scuba diving at night is so much, much, much better than diving in day. So is it the same thing for skydiving or base jumping at night? Is it just bring an added uh, rush? No, not at all. I mean, it, no? it, it for sure, for sure, jumping at night's good, but it's only because it's illegal. You know, when we do legal events in Malaysia or China and stuff like that, it's all all, all the jumps are done during the day with some novelty jumps done at night. So it's cool, but. Jumping in the day and seeing everything is, is awesome as well. It's just through necessity of not getting into trouble by the coppers. Okay. <laughs> All right. And base, if I understand, is that that's for a bridge aerial span? Am I forgetting one? Uh, yep. <laughs> so we missed a couple there. So it's okay. stand for building I and building. span, which is a bridge, and earth, which is a cliff. It's an acronym that was first coined, I think, in about 1978 by Carl Banish 
who was a one of the original legends of the sport, but unfortunately passed away soon after. Um, and then, you know, a lot of blood was spilt over those early years to get the sport to its humble beginnings where I started. And then obviously uh, in the last sort of 12 to 13 years or yeah, even 15 years, a lot of blood's also been spilled with the innovation of the wingsuit and YouTube and Facebook and people just trying to go too crazy too early. But in amongst all that carnage and chaos has been a tremendous amount of joy and a lot of incredible experiences with incredible people. So I'm truly blessed. Of the uh, of the base jumps, is there? Do you, did you have a preference between building or antenna? Did you or do you like them all all the same? Well, at the start, you just take what you can get in Melbourne. Okay. <laughs> they're all, yeah, they're <laughs> antennas, and the cool stuff was buildings. But we'd sneak up to the Blue Mountains in Sydney, uh, New South Wales, and we'd go and jump all the cliffs there at an early on. And that's that's when I really found my love for the mountains. I mean, I, I was really blessed that my father was amazing and. Since the age of three, every three months we'd go away camping. So he took, he taught me the ways of the the mountains and the ways of the bush and how to survive and how to appreciate and uh, and treat treat Mother Earth as she should be treated. And I was really grateful that looking back, especially because when I first got to the mountains and started jumping off the mountains, it was just an extension of myself and who I was anyway. And that that blew me away and you know jumping in the blue mountains really set me on the journey to to where i am now which is in the swiss alps and it just gave me that bug to travel the world and and check out all the coolest mountains on the planet and get the added bonus of not just climbing them but jumping off them so super grateful for that and i guess jumping in the mountains prepared you for wingsuit right because from what i from what i noticed most of your jumps are well let me ask before you answer that question is it true that when wingsuit started it was really just to you jumped off a mountain just to get away from it. But is it true that over time to get more of a rush now, it didn't mean anything unless you were flying by really fast, the side of a, a mountain. Is that true? Like yeah, that, that is very, very true. And I, you know, it's funny because wingsuit skydiving and daredevil stuff has been out there since the 1930s, late 1920s. So, um, so the sports history is very colorful in the early days, but what happened was um, in 1997, I think it was Patrick DeGarion, started flying wingsuits and and started designing them to, to what modern day wingsuits are today, along with uh, Robert Pecknick soon after. But it was in 2003, and I remember it perfectly, when another living legend, Jean-Louis Albert, he got out of a helicopter and he flew his wingsuit down a mountain past two skiers and, and then flew away to safety. And he we were at the World Championships in Gap, France, um, and they put this on the big screen in front of all the world's best skydivers. And I've never, no, no one had ever seen anything like it before. And it just blew everyone away. And that was the moment in time where wingsuiting changed forever. And people realized that you don't just jump off the, the mountains now to get away safely. You can actually turn back in and fly along the walls. And, and uh, that's where proximity flying was, was born. So, and it truly is the greatest feeling on earth, but, you know, with great, uh, great feelings like that comes great risk and great responsibility. And so that's when, uh, you know, the chaos and carnage sort of really began. And so for you as a professional skydiver and base jumper, I, I'm guessing wingsuit is the ultimate. When being a wingsuit pilot is the ultimate. Like there's nothing that can... is the ultimate. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's what I've learned over the years. Everyone's like, oh, you know, what's the best thing about it? It's living. Okay. Um, that's, that's number one because you, you, 
you don't do this to die. If you want to die, you just go and die. That's easy fixed, you know. But no one is doing it with a death wish. Everyone's doing it with a, a, a will to live and a life wish. But, you know, there's certain unwritten rules and laws and limits that you have to abide by. So, so that's really important to understand. And if you can do that, you know, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, I may die on the very next jump, but if you can do that, then you, you're winning the game. So you get the absolute thrill of flying and you get to live through it and do it again. And, you know, I just jumped with one of my heroes the other day and he's 70 years old now and still base jumping. So I'm only 45. So if I can do another 25 years in this sport, um, I'll be 70 alongside jumping with him. And I'll be very, very, very grateful. <laughs> it, it also looks like, you know, not only, like you said, you you know, your first your first mission is, you know, is surviving, learn, you know, Man, managing risk and all that but it looks like you have to be in great shape like what's what's the longest you've ever had to hike up a mountain just to jump off it for like two minutes like what it looks like you guys go pretty i mean when you're you're you're, you're working and living in switzerland now so can you put it in terms of hours how long it takes you to hike up a mountain to jump off it? yeah it, look, it depends on the jump itself so there's there's some jumps especially switzerland's pretty cool for it there's a lot of times you've got to get a cable car part the way up and then you just hike for two or three hours or Sometimes you can get a cable car up and um, only have to hike one or two minutes to jump. And if someone else is paying, a helicopter is always good as well. Uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> only, only if someone else is paying. But, but yeah, look, we, we, we stay, stay very fit. You know, most of our jumps, I'd say, average it out to two or three hours of hiking each time. Um, in, you know, sometimes pretty tricky conditions, climbing up, rock faces and things like this. So you have to be, be quite physically fit and you know, the way I teach my guys is if you're physically fit, you'll be mentally fit. And if you're mentally fit, you'll be emotionally fit. And so it's not just about the hike. It's what you got. To, you want to be ready to go once you're actually there. When, when things get real, um, that's when you want to be mo- like totally focused, both uh, physically, mentally and emotionally. So it's important to, to work out, eat well, party less, which I wasn't good at when I was younger. But um, <laughs> um <laughs> But, um, you know, like I'll, I'll get up every morning. First thing I'll do is, or first thing I'll do is push the coffee button and then I'll do 20 kettlebell swings, 20 push-ups, and that'll wake me up straight away. And then, um, and then I'll just do a quick workout, you know, even if it's only 60 push-ups, 60 kettlebell swings, uh, every, every other day I'll do a half hour, 40 minute workout. And then I'll, I, you know, then I'll start hiking or bike riding or something like that as well. It's, and especially the older I get, the more important it is to be physically fit. I never expected to live this long and my body is definitely paying the price for that now. So um, it's only now I'm really looking at um, health and fitness in a a, more of a like, wow, I might live through this sort of scenario. So so, um, I'm the fittest I've ever been right now. And it's it's really important to maintain a good level of skill set and mindset, in my opinion. Now, uh, I have a question for you. I'm a like a typical beginner, you know, uh, skydiving. So but first time skydiving, I as cool as it was, I was kind of alarmed at how fast you forget the feeling that you had during free fall. Like it, it's almost like you couldn't recreate it in your mind, you know, they happen so fast. So I, I started to think, well, wait a minute, do I have to jump every week just to get this feeling back? Like, so please tell me like in wingsuit that when you're a wingsuit pilot, it lasts. Does it last longer? That that high, I guess, I guess the words I'm looking for. It's like all good things in life. Okay. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you want more and more and more. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does it, so do you, uh, okay, okay. So it actually, so I guess if you do enough jumps, you kind of do have to keep doing more, right? To, to, to uh, capture, capture that. Look, we, have, 
It evolves. It depends where you are in your life too. I mean, I know when I was younger, it completely engulfed me um, and took over my entire life because there really is no other feeling like falling through the sky unassisted. I mean, it just... No, there can't you, be. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't describe it. You know, I do a lot of extreme sports. I've done a lot of cool stuff. And, you know, just falling through the sky, whether it's a wingsuit or not, is just so beautiful. And for sure, when I was younger for a while there, you know, you, you're talking adrenaline rush and crazy stuff and all that. But as I get older, it's just pure calm. And you just get this, I just, especially when I'm wingsuiting, you know, even if, you know, when I'm flying proximity and stuff like that, you, you, you're so in tune with yourself and with your surroundings and with your flow state, which, you know, comes over a lot of years of training that, you're, you're just in this beautiful, calm moment where everything actually slows down. It's a bit Matrix style. And you're actually, it's the most calm I am in my life is when I'm doing 200, 250 Ks an hour, a couple of meters off the rocks because you everything matters right now. And it's, it's, you know, if you make one error in judgment, you know, that could be it. And so, yeah, you learn this flow state and it's just so beautiful. And with base jumping, it's not just about, yeah, obviously that flight's incredible, but it's the moments uh, hiking up to the mountain with your friends and it's the serenity of the the area that you're hiking in or climbing in and, you know, the wildlife and all that stuff. So it's a whole package. And it's also, yeah, it's also about, um, you know, minimizing the risk and going through that process as well. So the, the, all the different building blocks of risk and and just getting getting through that and, you know, stepping up to the edge and actually doing it, you know, it goes against millions of years of evolution. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're not meant to do that. So <laughs> once once you learn to harness that, and if you can stay smart all the way through that process and, and live and continue to live, then it's extremely rewarding, not just for the jump itself, but for life in general. You know, you can really achieve anything you set your mind to. Um, and, you know, again, climbing up, it's not just walk out the door and you're on a cliff doing cool stuff. It's a process. And so I think it's also, as well as my father teaching me that, you know, to work hard to get what you want. You know, if you really want anything in life, you've got to go for it. And and the wingsuiting, what people don't understand is just to get, if you push it hard and do everything correctly, it still takes you five years to become a wingsuit proximity flyer at best if you're smart. You know, other people can rush through all that process too. They'll generally get hurt or killed or get bored. So, but if you do the process right, you know, it still takes a very long time. And that's why it's such a niche sport still. Um, you know, you can't just go out and buy a wingsuit and jump off a cliff straight away, you know, if you want to do it safely. Whereas um, kids can just pick up a skateboard and start to learn to skate. So that's why it's still a fringe sport. And that's why it's not, not hit the mainstream as, as yet. On your uh, YouTube channel, which I think you're around 38, 38 and a half million views, I think, in climbing. <laughs> you, have, you have a video. There's one in particular I'm curious about because uh, it looks like you're, you're okay, you're not, you jump out of a helicopter and it looks like you're landing on a spit of an, an island. So uh, now, were you in the tropical? Where, where were you? Or, or if, you, if you don't want to say, it's okay, because I have a question. Were you on an excursion and somehow you convinced, <laughs> you convinced I can't the pilot? Say officer, no more questions, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. I, um... <laughs> Did you convince the pilot to jump out? Or, or if you don't want to answer uh, that, that's okay. That's all right. No, my friend convinced the pilot. It was my friend's boss. Oh, okay. And um, and it's funny because I wanted to jump onto this K for like 14 years. And I was up visiting a mate up in Port Douglas. And they're like, hey, let's go out. And, you know, we bought a kilo of oysters and prawns. And, and me and my wife then and my mate and um, and this boss man, they flew us out, flew us around the rainforest for a bit. And 
flew us out on this car and just let me jump out and uh, see you later. And yeah, no, you know, no, no boat, big boys rules, you know, don't fuck up. Oops, excuse my French. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I did good. I did what I get about 10 no, minutes no, in. <laughs> I did my best. And I'm calling from Montreal, so you can say, excuse my French. It's okay. <laughs> oh, okay. <Yeah>. Perfect timing. <laughs> That's classic. So, um, yeah, so I jumped out, landed. We landed there. We went for a snorkel, had some some seafood, and then flew back. And it was, oh, it was amazing. So, to get better than that. So this wasn't yeah, Australia. It, was, it wasn't Australia. Wonderful. It was so, in Australia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And it looked like it took like a total James Bond moment because the, the pilot perfectly timed. I think he landed just seconds behind you, you know, like, like the Harbor police were about to catch you or something. I mean, it yeah. was such oh, a was, beautiful video. I was just curious the, the uh, behind the scenes, how you got, how you did that, you know, <laughs> we just went for it. And I mean, it's, he's a very good pilot. We're miles away from land, like really in the middle of the ocean. And it's quite a big place to land when you're close to the ground but when you get up high you're like oh pretty small <laughs> but, but you know again i had a, a ton of experience and i i'd even lived in north queensland for a while and 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 i knew what was going on with the winds were good everything's good so you know had it not been good we just simply wouldn't i wouldn't have jumped so um it all worked out really well so you got permission before you didn't just show up with your with your <laughs> with your um you know your parachute oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the, and the pilot was like uh what's going on mate so you actually so you uh <laughs> you, you got permission beforehand right okay I guess. Well, with the pilot me and yeah. the pilot okay, through it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. the helicopter <laughs> was stolen though no i'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> okay well while we're on yeah while we're, we're still on your youtube channel i have another question because you you posted a video on november 30th i think it's one of your last jumps of the season because you said the snow was coming uh, on Lauterbrunnen, I think. Um, yeah. Okay. How, who, how did you film that? Who filmed that? Because I didn't see any, you weren't like, you weren't jumping with a selfie stick. Were you jumping with a drone? Like, how was that filmed? Because the camera's right on you. It's funny. I get a lot of questions on my, my social media channels for that. So I love camera work and, and skydiving and base jumping really got me into the love of, of uh, videography and photography. And, but over time, you're like, it's the same old, same old. And then the GoPros come out, which is rad. So it made it easier to put cameras on all weird angles and stuff. Then I got pretty over that as well. And then this year, the Insta360 have this uh, X2 that came out. And um, I, I, it was just amazing, you know. So I, I finally got one, even though I wasn't into it. And um, basically, it's a camera that's a 360 camera that you just stick on a, I've got like a stick mount, like almost a selfie stick, but it's on your head, just it's about 10 but, inches. But it doesn't show in the video, though. It's amazing because the, the way the software is, it stitches it out. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man. So good, invent, it's, good invention, man. Okay. It's amazing. And, it, you know, it really is good to just see how you're flying. That's mainly why I got it, is just to see what my arms do. I have lazy hands sometimes with the, this big suit that we fly called a Sequoia. And, you know, it just makes it like, say, oh, I need to move my hands or I could move my legs a bit more wider or things like that. So I look at that and if there's anything wrong with my parachute, or, it really is something to document so you can learn learn more as well as see the beautiful scenery and, and what we get up to as well. So so that got me back into to camera work again this year. So it's Okay, cool. I, I was racking my brain. I thought you had a drone somehow you know, programmed a drone to stay ahead of you. I'm like, no. And I said, Some, somebody else can't be filming him because that's too close. I'm like, how did he do this? Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm really uh, lucky. I have uh, two of my close friends are two of the best cameramen in the world. And they, I love to fly and they love to film. So there's quite a few jumps this year that we did from uh, Scott Patterson and Sam Hardy 
that um, shout out to those boys because they um, they love filming at high speeds, uh, close during during proximity flying, and it's it's like they got bigger balls than me, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's get into your school. What year did you start to? Uh, what year did you open your school? Learn to base jump. So it's a long time in the making because I started teaching in Norway in 2003, actually. And already then, whilst I don't have a teaching background, I just knew the way things worked and I made a few changes to their school. And, and then over the years, I just off and on would help mates and, you know, teach a few people here and there. But um, And this is, a, this is a true story, but I love Mexican food. And so I decided to start running courses, you know, just black courses in, in uh, the USA just so I could go and eat some Mexican food. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Wait, so, yeah. where, where, where in the USA? In uh, Twin Falls, Idaho, at the Prime Bridge. There's good Mexican and, food in Twin Falls, Idaho? There wow. is, if you're okay. from Switzerland. Oh, okay. A, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I just love burritos and stuff. And anyway, I, you know, I was, I was in Twin Falls back in 2002. I lived in the U.S. for a while. And so I, I really enjoyed the place. So, yeah, so I ran a few courses over there. And eventually, that you know, they weren't really running at a profit. They were running at a loss. So once the novelty of, of flying all that way and to have a few burritos and, and stuff worn off, <laughs> then I realized that, okay, we need to do this as, as a bit more of a, at least break even, you know? And so I, I was working on oil rigs and then I finished that up and I, I moved to Switzerland and I was working in a bar at that point. And that's when I um, started doing the school, the initial stages of what it went to today. So, and the way it really came about was that, my best friend, one of my best friends at the time, her husband died in a triple fatality wingsuiting out of a helicopter. And so he was the, she was the brains behind their, their money, but he was the one that actually went out and, and earned it. So physically. And so when he died, she had no income. And so one of the reasons I started the school was to help her out and get her a few bucks. And, and then it just, uh, you were parted ways since then. Um, and that just, the school just evolved very quickly, mostly Mostly because I try and provide a generally good product. Um, and because I've lived so long and traveled so much, you know, I was very well known by people and, and very experienced. And so the, all these little things combined just went, grew from a hobby to a full-blown business. And it was within two years, we called it a name. You know, it wasn't Dukes' base course anymore. It was called Learn to Base Jump. And, and it just evolved from there where I had to get another instructor, uh, which is Sam Hardy. You know, he's one of my best mates and he's an incredible, incredible jumper and incredible human being. And, and we've both just evolved the school from there to what it is today. And I think I like to, my dad and my school principal taught me, you know, just be the best you can be. So if you're going to do something, try and do it as best as possible. And so we put all our energy into making it what it is today. And it's gone from a hobby to a full-blown business and it's a bit like be careful what you wish for you know so so uh everything was going really well until obviously COVID hit and then a lot of people couldn't travel so we're just rebuilding from that we had the people they just couldn't get to us so 2022 we have over 75 people that are going to learn to jump with us and there's at least another 20 something on the waiting list so it's going to be a crazy year next year so uh, in preparation for it i'm going to go to brazil and just go and cruise on the beach and do a few base jumps there for a change oh nice oh yeah brazil yeah that's uh, that's going to be a nice trip <laughs> Beautiful yeah there. if i come back i don't know okay. if i'll come back by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah well I'd be careful the women yeah very beautiful women over there so yeah that's uh, you might not come back chris okay. sensational <laughs> keep talking keep talking okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, where was I? Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, could I talk about your book for a sec? Yeah, no worries. Okay. Yeah. So you published that in 2016? 
Oh, no, it must have been. No? Oh, earlier? 20, maybe. Oh, okay. 2012. It was finished. I finished writing it in 20, 2000 and maybe 2007 or eight, and it took five years to, to get it published. I mean, this it's I like to challenge myself. And so my whole challenge was just for myself. I, I'm terrible at English and I'm, I still don't consider myself a writer, but I'm like, you know what? I want to write a book. <laughs> and so I finished writing it and it was just a pile of paper. That was it. And that's, I'd, as far as I was concerned, that was finished and done. And um, my <laughs> mate who had some cash, he was around for dinner one night when he was traveling from South Africa. And he's like, I don't know how we got onto it, but we're drunk talking shit. And, and he's like, let's check this out. So I said, I handed him a pile of paper. I said, yeah, there's my book. There you go. And he's like, bro, you could do something with this. I'm like, oh, no, nah, whatever. And he's like, no, really? And it's like, I can't even afford it. You know, I'm living on floors and eating leftover food at that point. And he um, he had a couple of businesses and had a bit of cash. And um, Jeremy Sampson's his name. And he he made it happen. So it literally from writing it to getting it published or self-published uh, was five years. And that was about 12 years ago. So... So yeah, it, it's it's funny how you know I'm not a writer, and and some of the stuff that's in there, you look now and shake. I shake my own head and my like, oh, wow, wow, I've definitely <laughs> are evolved. You, are, you say, are you saying you wrote it on? Uh, you wrote it by by hand? Is that what you're saying? Like you, yeah, you yeah, I wrote I wrote it. Well, I had I used a uh, computer, but I'm terrible at that stuff. But um, I wrote it like I'd had three beers at a pub and I was telling a story. We're half drunk, you know. That's how I, that's how I my premise of writing it was. So. So that's how it comes across. If you people that know who I am and how I speak and how I act, it's exactly the same in the book. I've, it's not professional at all. It's just who I am and how I write. So, um, so that's that's how it came about. But definitely a few <laughs> few stories I may not have needed to put in there, but they're in there now. And okay. I won't be running for president anytime soon. Oh no! Come on, now you win you would win in a landslide. Can you imagine your inauguration? <laughs> Just skydiving oh, in to the Capitol. It would be epic. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Onto a beach or something, too. Okay. Yeah, it would be the best six months America's ever had. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, let's get let's get the beer question out of the way. Your favorite Australian beer. Well, I had a bit of a problem with the old uh, beer, so I don't even drink anymore. No, when you did, did you like did you like VB? Because that was my I favorite liked, when I was there. I liked free beer. That was my okay. favorite. <laughs> Yeah, oh, so good, good free, answer. Free okay. beer, for beer for me. <laughs> okay. um, I literally, I would drink uh, anything I could get my hands on to keep that party going. That's one of one of the downsides of skydiving and, and base jumping is you get that such an intense feeling that you want to keep that party going. And life got a bit too good there for a while, so now I'm, I'm have to be uh, sober because I'm uh, I'm full throttle or nothing. So I've decided I'll have to to go nothing if I'm going to survive this mess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, and, but VB is a good a good beer. A lot of people will say that's not true, but I like I like the old VB. Oh, me too. Okay, I still I still miss it to this day. Uh, but once a year, I can get a can sent to me. You know, because you can't get it in Canada anywhere. So, but I've, uh, one of my friends uh, manages to send me a can every year. <laughs> it's the only oh, can, nice. only can of VB <laughs> in all of Canada. <laughs> awesome, awesome. <laughs> you are also a motivational speaker, correct? Yes, I do the odd talk here and there, sometimes about my life and sometimes about risk management. It's, uh, it's a unique uh, niche uh, subject that I'll be able to create. So not too many people have lived 25 years in the sport and able to talk about it with a risk management sort of sort of perspective. So, so that's been pretty cool. And it's really good to change people's minds of how most people think we've just got this crazy death wish to actually show them the building blocks of risk 
and how we can mitigate it. So that's been pretty cool. And yeah, it's really nice to help other people. That's been, as, I, as I've evolved and grown and matured, and, and that's where I get my true joy now is from, from helping others learn and be safe. And so that, that's been really cool. So I'd like to do more of it, actually, but uh, it's, it's, it's always tricky because I don't fit into the normal market for, for speaking bureaus and stuff. So that's always a bit tough, but that's okay. On this podcast, my listeners and, and and myself, we love like funny, funny travel stories or any anecdote, any a- a- anecdotes. So is there any, or it could be one of your jumps, like, is there a story that you tell commonly, like, like, this is a crazy story. I mean, uh, do you have anything like that? Like, yeah, you don't want to hear those no, stories. Well, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sorry. I should have said clean and appropriate. Okay. So, so, yeah. so that just takes care of ham- I know, I know, uh, I'm, I, know I'm, I know, I know I'm I mean, hamstringing you a little of, bit here, but uh, there's tons of stories. There's tons okay. of stories. I mean, it's been a crazy <laughs> life. I mean, just the travel stories and, and what it took to get to the destination. I mean, that's the coolest part. I mean, me and my best mate, wild man, you know, we thought, one time in Norway, you know, we we heard the food was super expensive over there. So, you know, it was our first time traveling through Europe. So we decided to buy about 40 tins of ravioli so that we could <laughs> eat cheap. We didn't even think about how much that would weigh. So we get so we, we get to the the check-in in France. And I'll never forget, I'll leave some of the parts of this story out, but okay, we, we, we we get there and they're like, uh, that's going to be $400 excess luggage. <laughs> like, we didn't have that money. We had no money at all. And we're like, what, what do you mean? They're like, well, you're 40 kilos overweight or something. So we had tins of ravioli rolling around the whole airport, trying to put them into our pockets and our hand luggage and everything. And it was, you know, there's a lot less rules 25 or 20 odd years ago in, in airports. And I mean, I still remember to this day how funny that was to get on the plane. And they were so, they were so, just the, the check-in people were just amused by the whole thing that they didn't end up charging us anything, which is cool. But oh I mean, God. I got a thousand of those style stories. Okay. Well, that that one's pretty good. I never heard yeah, that. The jump, the jump is just one tiny part of the adventure. That's for sure. Okay. Yeah. It's the journey getting there, right? <laughs> yeah, mass, massive. And that's the best part. That's where all the, the real memories, you know, and I've forgotten quite a few of them too, but the real the real adventure lies in the getting to to the places that you get to experience and jump from. I've seen I've seen some videos. Well, they're uh, they're obviously fake. Like uh, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, I saw some wingsuit videos where I guess someone was trying to maybe you can dispel the myth or, or these uh, people seem to think that if if wingsuit if you come to I guess a perfect incline, like is it possible? <laughs> to, I guess, fly down. I'm, I'm trying to ask this question. It's more as, can you stop without pulling the uh, rip cord? If you're gliding down an incline, will you uh, say it's a very soft? Because <laughs> there's people that claim that you could actually survive and land safely if if um, do you, do you don't, you know where I'm going with this question? It's kind of actually, it's kind of hard to describe. Yeah, very, I'm not very talking about. So. You can definitely, everyone can do it once. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got it. Thank you. That's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> no, look, um, it's uh, quite a few people have survived, hey? uh, unintentionally, obviously. Um, there was a person just a month ago in America that survived um, not opening her parachute at all because of the incline. That person uh, was filming someone else and it made a mistake. And just didn't even have an opportunity to pull and just had to, to land. And that person ended up, they lost, I think, a little part of their nose and maybe a few cuts and bruises, but actually basically walked away. And I think I'm thinking at least four people have done the same uh, that I know of, maybe five actually. So it, it is doable, but not, not one of them has been on purpose. 
Okay. The only one that was ever on purpose was by the legend himself, Gary Connery, who landed in, uh, I think, 21,000 cardboard boxes on purpose. And the coolest part about that was there was another jumper that's all famous and stuff talking smack about the whole thing and how cool it was going to be that he was going to do all this rad stuff. And then this guy, Gary, with hardly any wingsuit experience, and his te- back then especially, he's a terrible wingsuit pilot, you know, he, he'll tell you that. And, and he just came in and, and land on the cardboard boxes and just, you know, walked away unscathed. And it just such, he's a legendary guy and he's such a legendary act that he did. And, you know, even the interview afterward, they're like, wow, wow. So what's next for you? And he's like, well, I've got to pack up those boxes, you know. <laughs> and um, so he's the only one that's landed for real on purpose. It's okay. 100% uh, doable. But it's that last moment, you know, that foot off the ground where the uncertainty is and the consequences are high. So that's why it hasn't been done. If there's no consequences, everyone would do it. I mean, I, I'm sure I could do it with the right suit and the right terrain, the right snow. But do I want to take that risk? Absolutely not. It's not worth dying for. Well said. Well said. Is it, is it expe- like if you want to learn to become, I know you said it takes about five years. So does it get expensive? Like how much is a wingsuit, for instance? Like, uh, yeah, it's, it does. It's, it's, it's not just that, like anything you want to do, and be passionate about it's going to be expensive. All the fun things are. You yeah. Know, you want to race cars, you got to pay. You want to race motorbikes, you got to pay. You you want to ski, you know, you got to pay for all this stuff. And where skydiving and, and base jumping is no different. You got to buy a parachute. And if you're smart, you'll buy a good parachute. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and um, that's what I tell people: don't skimp on the gear because it's your life-saving device. So you got to buy your parachutes, and you got to buy your wingsuits. Then you got to travel to the drop zones, and you got to pay for your skydives, and you got to. At the whole time you're doing that, you're not working. So you, you it does cost a lot. And um, base jumping as well. People that oh, base jumping is so much cheaper. You don't have to pay for the aircraft, but you still have to travel to these remote locations, and you still got to pay for accommodation or camping. And and again, it comes to time off work. So if you're really following your dream and your passion, you know you you're basically quitting your job and going for it. So on the other end of that though it's you will do what it takes to get to where you need to go if your heart truly desires this so that's what people say like i can't believe how lucky you are so not about luck it's about passion combined with drive and truly chasing your heart and i think i'm I'm super grateful Uh, myself and my little sister we she's a professional world-class circus performer so imagine us going into school our school counselor and be like hey uh this is what i want to do for a living and they're gonna they're gonna call my parents and and my sister's parents and be like what the hell you know and and but we both did it with just passion and just heart and just drive and we both have amazing careers in our passions so it's it's doable if you truly want it and you're willing to put in the hard yards and i'm talking like living in your car, you know, eating pasta, you know, literally waiting for other people to finish their meals and eat their meals and and do whatever it takes to make your dreams come true. And even this year, earlier this year, even with my broken leg, I was digging holes to help a mate because I needed some cash and do what it takes. And then next minute, you know, you get a phone call and you get to do a TV shoot or something and you're a rock star for a couple of minutes and then you're back pouring beers at your family's bar, you know, your your mother-in-law's bar or, you know, it's, it's, it's important just to do whatever it takes to get to where you need to go. And that's, and again, that's part of the adventure. And I think that's also what keeps you grounded and humbled along the way as well. Nothing is for free. You got to work your ass off for anything you truly desire. 
True enough, true enough, sir. That is, uh, yeah, definitely uh, good advice and words. Oh, to normally, normally uh, police call me, sir. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, this has been so great, Chris. Like, I, I really want to thank you for sharing your time and your story with us. This has been awesome, man, because uh, I really admire what, what you do and, you know, trade places with you in a second, believe it or not, which most people probably would when they meet you. <laughs> Uh, yes and no. I mean, you, <laughs> you know, don't let Instagram fool you. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's uh, it's a lot of hard work behind the scenes and life is never as simple. And there's a lot of death, a lot of carnage and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, hurdles along the way to get to this point. But overall, I wouldn't change it for quids either. You know, you got to have the good with the bad and the bad with the good to keep life rolling. And I've learned recently in the last 18 months, especially through COVID and a lot of other things happened to me personally that Alan Watts said, you know, there's no point sustaining bliss. And for for every high tide, there's a low tide and, and you've just got to roll with the, the vibrations of the universe, all the good and the bad, because it's all part of just being. So what I've learned through getting older and being alive in this sport for 25 years is that just the miracle of breath is actually the most important thing. Um, and everything else around that's just an added bonus. And I think with our sports, you know, we, I, you do see life's vanish before your eyes in a, in a heartbeat. So just we, from a very early age, you got to appreciate just truly living and trying to make the best of this life that we've been given. And I think that for me is the key from here on out is just be fit, be healthy, um, and just take every day as it comes and enjoy the hell out of it. Well, yeah, and to, to build on what you said, you know, my, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, when your life flashes before your eyes, uh, make sure you have something to watch. And you, sir, sorry, yeah. my friend, have a lot to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Always make sure you got clothes on as well. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> when, 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 when the life flashes before your eyes, make sure you know where you put your clothes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, clean underwear, no holes in them. That's right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, uh, am I forgetting to ask you anything? Like I don't, I don't want to let you go in, in case there's something I forgot to ask you or you wanted to say. Is there? Uh, did we cover it, or is there something you want to? No, I mean, got any questions you got? I'm a pretty open book. You know, I don't hide anything. I've just, I've seen a lot. I've done a lot. I've been super blessed, and you know, the good and the bad. You know, I wouldn't wish some of the things that have happened to me and that I've witnessed upon anyone. But it's also given me a, an interesting perspective on life, death and living and stuff like that. So I mean, the, the advice to anyone is just to do whatever it takes to put a smile on your face. And if that means hitting a golf ball, go for it. If it means dressing up in a clown suit, go for it. If it means being an accountant, go for it. But just at the end of the day, do what makes you happy. And if you can stare in the mirror and you're not happy, with something in your life, then you are the only person that can change it and, and change it now. Don't change it tomorrow, change it now because life is just a fleeting moment when it all comes down to it. So that's my advice. But if I had to talk to my younger self, I wouldn't bother because he wouldn't listen. So, <laughs> <laughs> so just go for it. Enjoy. Don't hurt other people. Don't vandalize this planet. Try and be as, as beautiful as you can to this planet and um, just be kind. Well said. Well put. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Chris Dugues McDougall. Don't worry, I will put all the links into his episode description because you must check out his and subscribe to his YouTube channel and his Instagram and Facebook because you will you'll just see the most amazing videos you've ever seen in your life. Dugues, thanks again, man, for the bottom of my heart for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. 
No worries, brother. A pleasure. Now, don't hang up right away. I still want to thank you, but uh, we'll see you all next week, everyone. Bye. Say bye, Chris. Ciao. See you. <laughs>